You're listening to episode 10 of the Tennis Files podcast on how to get a college tennis scholarship with special guest Doug Neagle. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to the 10th episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, and I just want to welcome you to the show today. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that a lot of people, especially parents and younger players, don't really know about, and that's the college tennis recruiting and scholarship process. A lot of times when I go to different pro shops or listen in on people talking about college tennis, they don't really know what to do when it comes to you know, how to get on a team as far as things like making videos, contacting coaches, how to get a scholarship. There's a lot of different facets about the recruiting and scholarship process that a lot of people are curious about, including myself. So to learn more about that, I brought on a friend of mine who is the head coach of the Towson Women's Tennis Program at Towson University here in Maryland, and his name is Doug Neagle. And he is extremely knowledgeable about recruiting and scholarships and things like that. And so I brought him on the show to talk about basically everything that he knows about the process. And it's going to help a lot of you, whether you're a parent, a player, or even coaches. uh, Because there's a lot of things that sometimes even coaches do that isn't uh, exactly kosher in terms of the rules of uh, recruiting and all that. So... Uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring you the interview with Doug Neagle. Hey guys, I'm here with Doug Neagle, head coach of the Towson University Women's Tennis Program. Doug's a good friend of mine who's been a fantastic tennis coach as well as a great advocate for college tennis, and I'm really uh, honored to have him on the show today. So, uh, Doug, how's it going? Good. Thanks, Marvin. I appreciate you getting me on here. I really do. Oh, no worries. Thanks so much for speaking with me uh, all the way from uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Are you guys on like a spring break trip? We are. Uh, our assistant coach, Jamie Peterson, and I, we drove, uh, we drove straight through. It was about, about 10 and a half hours last night. We got in at 2 in the morning, and now I'm up talking to you. So welcome to college tennis, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good stuff. College tennis is so much fun. Yeah, it is. This this. Part of the memories is these trips, I guess. The girls are having a good time in the van just talking and, you know, they get to know each other more and more. Yeah, I definitely miss that part of, of uh, my life. But, um, yeah, just a bit of background on uh, Doug. I mean, he, you know, obviously he coaches at Towson University, uh, the women's program, but he also is and was a great player. It, it, he played for Salisbury University, and he actually reached as high as, I think, five in the country in singles and four in doubles in uh, all of Division Three. Uh, so it's pretty pretty awesome stuff. And then he was inducted into the uh, Salisbury Hall of Fame 2008. Uh, spent some time on the French Satellite Money Tour in '97. Uh, and uh, he's you know he's been coaching for a while at the D1 level, and also he did a bit of D3 coaching um, at Pomona College, Pitzer College. Is that right? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's Pomona College and Pitzer College, and what they do is they combine for athletics. So we were the Pomona Pitzer Sage Hens was our mascot, and um, uh, it's, it was very high level when I was out there. You know, we were top fifteen in the country, and I'm not taking credit for that. I was lucky to walk into a great team out there, but uh, they're consistently in the in the top fifteen, top twenty, top ten usually every year. It's 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 a good program, men's and women's. Yeah, it's really impressive. I mean, D3 is no joke. When we were at UMBC, uh, you know, we had a tough time with some D3 schools. Um, they lost some individual matches to them as well, so that's really impressive. Um, yeah, and Doug also, he served as the head tennis pro at Bowie Sport Fit Racket Club and Suburban Club here in Maryland, and he also plays in 5-0 leagues, so it's, it's fun to see Doug around the courts and, and play tennis when he's not busy coaching. Um, so he's doing a ton for the game, uh, and I appreciate that. My body doesn't always appreciate it, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's a tough sport, but smart yeah. guy, you recover. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I wanted to bring Doug on the show today to talk uh, specifically about a very important and not very well-known part of college tennis, which is the recruiting process and scholarships. You know, when I go to tennis shops and talk to some parents that a lot of times they're kind of in the dark about how all this stuff works. So um, figured Doug would be the perfect guy to bring on the show to talk about this. And we'll also talk about other aspects of college tennis as well. But, um, you know, to just get a kind of a sense of Doug's uh, tennis background, I just want to ask you, Doug, uh, when did you start playing tennis? I started playing when I was about eight years old just at our at our local swim and tennis club called uh, Watt Chapel Swim Club, and it's still there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I was more of a, a baseball, basketball, soccer, more of an all-around sports guy, and kind of did them all growing up, but then just really took a liking to it um, probably when I was about 12 or 13, and by the time my, my junior is when I just, just switched to tennis. So I enjoyed playing all the sports all the way up until then. Nice. And so what in particular made you love tennis? Uh, just the, the individual uh, battle. You know, you're battling yourself out there. You got nobody else to blame. Um, it's always active, you know, like playing a little league out in the right field or left field or wherever you might be playing. Sometimes you might not even see the ball ever. Um, and, and, and I love baseball. I mean, I, I love all sports. But um, tennis has really struck a chord with me as far as just the the energy and the effort that it takes and the mental the mental uh, challenge of it. So really, really enjoyed that, that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, tennis is such a challenging sport. You've got all the different strokes to master, and then you've got all these, I guess, times when you're put under a lot of pressure and it's really fun competing and, and trying to win and figure out all the optimal strategies out there. Um, so I guess, Let's talk a little bit about um, your your playing career, I guess, and then how you transitioned to becoming a coach. Yeah, I um, I was lucky. I was fortunate enough to play for Coach John Browning, who now coaches uh, Emory University, and and I know he's won a few national championships there in the in the the uh, Division three level on the men's side. And he was a he was a former player at UC Santa Cruz when they used to be dominant in Division three. I believe he won. He may have won four national championships, but. In, um, he took that to Salisbury. He got us to, as a team, to top 10 in the country there. Um, and then he went on to Emory, and he's just doing great things there. But he just really inspired me. You know, he, I felt like he got the most out of my game. He got the most out of our team. Um, he was a heck of a recruiter, which, uh, which, is, which is what we're going to talk about. And, you know, recruiting is a huge part of it. 
um, just his energy, his passion for the game. Um, if it were for him, I probably wouldn't be in coaching. So he was a big inspiration to uh, to me, and I still keep in touch with him. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I I, I know Emory is definitely a great program. I've, I've had a couple of friends go there. Uh, Michael Goodwin's one of them, and his yeah. brother Chris, and uh, they definitely did really well up there. Phenomenal what they did. Brothers both in the national championship and. I got to see them play at a Chartwell, a Chartwell Classic that that our assistant coach Jamie Peterson uh, used to do a great job hosting, and it was fun to introduce myself to them. I'm, I'm a few years older than them, <laughs> uh, but just telling them how you know I played for John, their same coach at uh, Salisbury, and just kind of sharing stories. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome stuff. And yeah, Jamie Peterson as well as assistant coach at Towson, a uh, great guy and a uh, very good player. Fun seeing both you guys around the courts. Um, you too. It's great getting to play with you. Oh yeah, thanks a lot, Doug. And so, so what are some of the most important lessons you've learned about tennis so far in your playing and uh, coaching career? Um, being on this side of the net or this side of the court, however you want to say it, it's 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 really neat. If you if you call John Browning and ask how I was to coach, I mean, he, he would tell you my 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 effort was always there, but I, I was um I was a little crazy on the court mentally, and I learned a lot from him just how to control my emotions. Um, but tennis in general, I know it sounds cliche, but just you can say in one match, but literally one game or even one point, there's so many ups and downs in tennis. And you can you can take so much from that and really spin it off and you can learn in, in life, um, you know, how to deal with different things, you know, how to get through adversity. You're going to have ups and downs every day uh, in a tennis match. My goodness. I mean, just in one point alone, one game, there's so many ups and downs and you can take so much from the sport. Yeah, I really love that you mentioned that, Doug, because I guess a lot of times when I talk about tennis, I try to equate the uh, lessons we learn in tennis and life, and so it's definitely uh, a lot of transferable characteristics and things like that. Oh, go ahead, Doug. No, no, I was just going to say that there there really is, and and a lot of times, you know, when one of the kids on our team, you know, you see them really struggling with themselves out there mentally, and, you know, you you start to get a little bit mad and frustrated, then then I really step back and think, and I'll, I'll talk to Jamie, I'm like, wow, I think... Think about how I was in college and, you know, put yourself when when you were at that age and, and same things that you were saying to yourself on the court. You know, you got to you got to just help them. Um, but the kids, you know, they, they got to accept the coaching at the same time. Yeah, no, it's I'm sure the kids really appreciate you stepping back <laughs> and being considerate. But um, yeah, Doug. So now we're going to, uh, I guess, shift into recruiting and scholarships and things like that, uh, which a lot of people will really appreciate and which I'm uh, eager to learn more about. Sure. And it's great. So first question for you, Doug, um, regarding uh, eligibility. So what are the basic eligibility requirements for an athlete to play college tennis? Um, well, I can tell you that at, at Towson, for our standard admit you have to have at least a 3.2 gpa of all your core classes um in high school that's from ninth grade up a lot of people think their freshman year doesn't really matter but it does uh so they got to be on the ball right away from from ninth grade on um and and our minimum for the three-part sat is a 1580 um that's the reading writing and the math part Um, from what i understand towson and probably 90 percent of schools now are just going to the two-part sat um, which is just the reading and, and the math part. And I'm not sure exactly what those totals are going to be for each school. Um, but that's uh, that's the basic requirement. So uh, academics are obviously very, very key. And we're pretty fortunate with, with tennis. Most of the kids in tennis are, are pretty strong academically. So 
Uh, we normally don't have a whole lot of problems of getting kids um, a- admitted into Towson. Every once in a while, we, we run into some bumps, but then we see if they have to go to JUCO or anything first to uh, to get their grades up. That's good to know, Doug. I appreciate that information. And, uh, you know, like Doug said, while there are some minimum standards and things, like you should really be looking at the specific school because they're going to have their own standards for what you need to uh, meet as far as uh, academics and things like that. But I guess when you have run into eligibility problems, what have they normally been? Has it been like a GPA thing, SAT thing, or both? For me personally, most of the time it's been uh, it's been SAT scores, and a lot of times the kids, uh, you know, you always hear that typical my my kids is not a good test taker or or this that. And, so, and some, sometimes it is sometimes it is true, but a lot of times the kids they don't want to take the take the test again, and that, well, that kind of throws up a red flag for me right then. You know, it kind of says that they don't want to do whatever it takes. How much do you really want to come to us, or how much do you really want to get into to college? Number one. And then how much do you want to play college tennis? But a lot of times what we'll have them do is if they're not successful with the SATs, take the ACT. And for, for whatever reason, some kids do better on, on that test. So, um, But that's the big problem that we have. It's usually the test scores. Usually the GPA is, is okay. Um, some of the other eligibility problems that we have, um, I, w- I wish we had more of it at Towson because that would mean that uh, we're, we're recruiting at a high level, but a lot, you know, some of the kids with their amateur uh, status as far as claiming too much money or, mm. you know, there's a, there's a gray area there on how much the prize money they're taking and things like that. Oh, very interesting. So it's not like um, if you've taken any prize money, but it's kind of like it right, I believe. I believe that the rule just changed. It used to be, uh, and it was pretty vague. Like, you, you know, like um, for instance, I was talking about how Jamie, our assistant coach, used to host a um, uh, a big money tournament at Chartwell Country Club in Savannah Park. There was always quite a few college players there, and they were allowed to accept uh, just the expenses as far as traveling, what it costs to get there, uh, lodging, and, and meal money, gas money, whatever that might be. Now, from what I understand, and I. I, I don't want to say it's 100% true, but I, I think they can claim up to $10,000 a year. Hmm. So basically, there's, you know, that's covering their travel and, and their expenses when they're playing on like the IT summer circuit or what have you. Oh, very interesting. I, that's, that's great information. And so I guess regarding the requirements that you mentioned earlier, at least for Towson, has it, has it been that way or has it increased at all since you've been there or pretty much stayed the same? It's um, at Towson. It, it's it's stayed pretty similar. It's actually gone up some because it's a good thing. Our ac- academic reputation is getting better and better at Towson. Um, you you'll hear us say we don't want to be the, uh, the 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 other school anymore <laughs> at the other school in, in Maryland. Whereas in other words, if you don't if you don't get into College Park, then you go to Towson. Uh, we want to. We're trying to get to the point where kids are applying to Towson first because they want to come to Towson. We're not the the uh, the, the B player. We're not the backup. Um, and, I, and I think we're doing a pretty good job of that um, with our academics um, and, and athletics. And, you know, I think they're both athletics is a great branding for your academic side. So when I mean, you have big sports like our football team doing as well as they've done the last few years, it, it helps. I love uh, Coach, Coach Rob Ambrose says it's funny now that our football team is doing good. There's there's a lot more Towson graduates out there all of a sudden. <laughs> In other words, they're, they're admitting and they're proud to say that, you know, they're they're from Towson. <laughs> well, you know, Doug, I mean, personally, I've definitely heard some people and players uh, mention that they're going to Towson and they're they're definitely proud of going there. And, it, you know, Towson's definitely a great school. So, Doug, uh, 
regarding um, players and their eligibility, is there any sort of process to screen out players? Like, it, I don't know if maybe does the NCAA Clearinghouse do that, or is it just like your academics um, part of the school that does that, or do you deal with it? Yeah, every kid, uh, whether they're uh, American or, or international, every kid has to uh, register with the NCAA Eligibility Center. And that's where they determine if they're a qualifier or they're a non-qualifier. That's basically talking about do they have all the core course requirements? Is their GPA strong enough? And have they taken the SAT or ACT? Um, for, for us, for instance, our internationals, in order to get admitted, we're looking at GPAs, grade point average, and their TOEFL score, T-O-E-F-L. That's their basically their English speaking exam. Hmm. And we're not looking at the SAT or ACT. It's, it's tough for them because they have to take it in English as well before they come here. But um, that's just for the NCAA Eligibility Center for the Internationals for Towson. Um, they just have to be uh, get cleared through the NCAA Eligibility Center by taking the test. But Towson itself is looking at GPA in their in their in their English speaking exam. Oh, very interesting. Um, and it, do you know if there's any sort of fee to register with the NCA? Uh, is it Eligibility Center? Yeah, um, you know I don't know the exact website, but I'm sure if you just Google NCAA Eligibility Center, um, I should know that because when I'm sending out the email to my kids, it's I have it in my computer back home, and I just send it right out to them <laughs> the, the actual link for it. Oh yeah, no worries. I mean, definitely. We'll easily find that, and I'll post a link to that uh, to the LG, NCAA Eligibility Center. Yeah, and every, every kid has to do that. It's a small fee, I believe. It's like I think it's like seventy five dollars. Um, and, and, and every kid, uh, some kids were asking, you know, "Do I have to pay for this?" And every, every single kid has to do it. So, got it, got it. Very helpful. Um, one particular question I have, uh, kind of spurred from my conversation with a current pro, uh, Colin Johns is on the ITF tour predominantly. He mentioned that you can only take six months off between your high school graduation and when you enroll in college, otherwise you'll start to lose eligibility. I was just wondering if you know, you know, I guess, how does that work and has there been a problem? Yeah, actually, we just uh, we just dealt with that. Our um, she's considered a freshman, um, Yevgenia. Uh, we call her Jane, <laughs> Jane Schusterman. Nice. She's from the Ukraine, and she graduated, and she was going to take a year off just to kind of train and things. But you are correct; she had to come here. Um, and I was talking with our director of compliance, Kelly Webb. We were going back and forth on. We weren't really sure, and we were doing our research on it. If you're an international student, you absolutely you have to start within six months of graduating high school. Or you, or you lose a year of eligibility. For the American kids, they, they can actually take a whole year off. They can take a gap year. You have, you have five years to complete your four years of eligibility from the time you graduate high school. Just you, They have to be very careful within that gap year. They can't compete in, uh, in tournaments because that's considered uh, they're using up their eligibility for whatever reason. And I don't know why. I was, I was, maybe it was if it was money tournaments or what have you, so they were worried about amateurism, but... From what I understand, they can't play any tournaments. So, you know, some kids say they want to take a year off to train when I, I don't think that's the right decision. I think they should get into college because you're going to get some, some great training no matter where you are, whether it's Division One, Two, Three, NAIA, doesn't matter. Uh, they're going to have some great training there with their college teammates and their strength coaches. So, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I guess it's different for everybody, but um, Paul Harsani uh, is a great player from this area, and and my most recent guest, uh, who I'm 
I'm going to post that one soon. Uh, Jason Jung is uh, a top 250 player. They both mentioned how much college helped them develop their game and uh, make them stronger physically, which is really important on the tour. Um, so it's definitely a great, great place to go after high school. Absolutely. I mean, so many, uh, so many places have unbelievable facilities. But you know, even if their facilities aren't up to par, they're getting coaching from their coach, um, strength coaches. You know, they're hitting with their teammates every day. Uh, so many matches, so many tournaments. Uh, it, it's, it is. It's. I think more and more, it's it's becoming a, a better stepping stone for kids that actually want to go on a tour after as well. Yeah, for sure, Doug. And I mean, especially for these elite players who decide to attend college, in a lot of cases, they'll attend it for free. So, I mean, it's free training. It's pretty... Not bad, huh? Pretty, <laughs> pretty good deal. Pretty good yeah. deal. Yeah, so... I know when the girls uh, aren't liking our morning practices, and I, uh, you know, I'm I'm always driving them nuts, probably saying like, you know, ah, it's gonna fly by, it's gonna this and that. But I would kill, I would die to have to wake up at six in the morning to have somebody, basically your own personal trainer, working you out in the morning for free. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, for all those college players out there, just enjoy it, man. It's it's amazing uh, experience. Uh, it's probably my favorite part of my uh, life so far. Um, Mine too. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ted. Well, that's, that's that's why I'm in coaching. So, <laughs> yeah. Thanks to guys like you. So much appreciated. So um, now let's go a bit more into the, I guess the the recruiting process, as most people think about it, as far as communications and things. But um, can you describe, I guess, in your words, what the recruiting process is? Yeah, I mean, it's it starts with um, a lot of kids are they're reaching out to us when they're in ninth grade, tenth grade. Me personally, well, according to NCAA rules, I can't reach out to them until I can't email or text or call them until uh, September 1 now. They're here. That's, that's pretty new. It used to be um, we couldn't talk to them until July 1st after their junior year in high school. So basically, you really couldn't talk to them by you reaching out until they were seniors in high school. You could always answer the phone. And even now, I can answer the phone when the kids call me. If they're if it's before their junior year, but I can answer and I can talk to them. But if I miss a call, I cannot call them back. Um, so a lot of coaches you'll even hear on their voicemails. You know they'll say, "Hey, this is Doug Nagel, coach of Towson's. If you're a freshman or a sophomore, if you leave a message, I can't call you back." <laughs> but um, yeah, so a lot of coaches will reach out early. Me personally, I'm I'm looking at results. I'm looking at the areas where I'm recruiting from a lot. I'm looking at the results uh, from about ninth and 10th grade on, I'm not trying to reach out to them. Um, I can't talk to them anyway. I wouldn't overstep those boundaries. I don't think anyway, uh, you kind of want the kid just enjoy their junior tennis and they'll, they'll start thinking about that and you can start reaching out to them as they get older. And Doug, sorry to, what was that, uh, that a specific date you mentioned uh, in the beginning? Cause I think it might've like blanked out slightly. Sure. September 1st of, yeah. uh, of their junior year. Got is, it. When I, is when I can actually start calling or emailing or even texting now. Um, you can text these recruits, uh, which is great because sometimes uh, I think in the beginning they were worried that coaches were going to abuse that. But sometimes it's just a quick question you have for them or, you know, just an update on their tournament or, or what have you. So it's a, I, I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. And so who normally initiates the recruiting, uh, I guess, the communications during the recruiting process? You know, surprisingly, more often it is the kids. Um, it's kind of a red flag for me if it's the parents right away mm-hmm. uh, re- reaching out. Um, 
you know, I, I can understand it because the parents and a lot of it's it's coming out of their pockets. They obviously should have a big say in it, but I think the parents should put more of the onus on the on the kids just to start teaching them responsibility uh, right away. But um, as far as now, now, did you mean like for me, like is the kid reaching out to me more, or am I reaching out to the kid? Um, I guess I, I just meant like a, who would be starting the whole process like on the whole like say say if you're looking at the the girls on your team uh who started that process like was it you reaching out like hey i want i'm interested in you or was it kind of the player saying hey doug i want to come on your team yeah it's um let's see with this team now it's it's kind of it's it's kind of a mix a couple of our internationals one i actually used uh, an, an agency and they reached out to me um, and that was our uh, our French girl uh, Sophie Lesage. Mm-hmm. Um, she reached out to um, uh, their, their company. Reached out to me. Um, a couple of the other players, uh, I reached out to them. So it's uh, it's kind of about fifty fifty on this team, and it's uh, it, it, it's it's kind of nice when they reach out to you. You know, we, we as coaches, we get a lot of emails every day, and we I try to return all of them, even if I have to tell them no, we don't have a spot on our team. But um, yeah, it, it, it's about fifty-fifty with our team, and it, it varies though. It varies year to year. Like when I my very first year at Towson, I I was hired August twentieth, and my practice was like August twenty-fourth. Here you go. <laughs> and so for you know, I wanted to bring my own kids. So from day one, I mean, I was emailing, phone calling, out of tournaments, phone calling, I mean, just over and over and over, just kind of repeat, repeat, repeat all those steps there. So each year, it it it, it really varies. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work, and it's extremely important work. I enjoy it, though. I, I enjoy the recruiting process. I do. It's neat to to meet the kids and all the and all the different parents and everything. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting part of the whole process. Um, you know, when you mentioned the uh, the agencies, it, are mm-hmm. there just are there a couple big ones that normally coaches use, or is it are there just like a ton of them that you that you know? That you there's there is a there is a ton of them and there's a um you know depending on your budget a lot of the the bigger programs they're actually flying over to Eastern Europe or Europe and um, well, I shouldn't say or Europe uh, all over <laughs> Europe and they're um and they're actually going to academies and they're showing their face and they're putting their brand out there it all depends on what your what your budget is and some of them do use a couple um it, it's it's all kind of to each their own there's not really like the the big ones like like you said there's so many of them. I think each coach kind of finds their niche and kind of finds their area over there. Um, but the, the few that I've used, um, the one that I really, really like is Sarah Borwell with a uh, tennis smart and she's with all the, um, the UK tennis players, hmm. uh, the British tennis players. Um, what, what I like about her is she gives you very good info. Um, she gives you very good info on the kid too. And it's always very honest. Talks about the type of kid they are, the work ethic, their attitude, um, and it's usually pretty pretty spot on. She's honest with you. You know, she might tell you if like you know this kid's talented, but you you're gonna you're gonna have your work cut out for them with their attitude. And, and I, I really really like that because yeah, it's great for her business. <laughs> it, you know, she doesn't tell you those things, and then you get the kid. Uh, but you know, sometimes she doesn't always know either. But uh, I've used AGM Sports. It's called, um, and and. That's my first couple years. We got a couple of Spanish tennis players, and they were great. They had the best attitudes, the best work ethic. They were the greatest teammates. Um, we, we really missed them here. Um, I would definitely use them again. And for uh, Sophie, we've used, um, it's, I think, I believe it's called Athletics Partners. Um, Celine is my contact there. But uh, 
but he, he was he was great over there and he was very honest with uh Sophie and he got us in touch. Sophie's our junior. She's she's our oldest girl on the team from France. Well, that's really helpful to mention all those uh, services, and uh, I'm also really sure that those people are grateful for you mentioning. Uh, you know, I, maybe you should look into uh, some sort of, uh, you know, commission for that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. Well, I would I wouldn't mention them if they weren't uh, if they weren't honest and uh, you know I've never met them. Uh, well, actually, I met Sarah, but I haven't met the other ones uh, face face to face. And uh, but I, I have good trust in them. It seems like they're good good honest people. You know, it's wonderful to have uh, you know truthful services like that. Uh, it's, it's great. And so, Doug, I guess this is kind of a two-parter. Um, mm-hmm. So, are there specific rules regarding contacting coaches and players that we should know about? And then, on that front, um, which one? You know, are there certain ones that you find are being violated uh, over and over again? As far as like us contacting players, yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess like yeah, the, yeah contacting. Yeah, I mean, you know, like when you go to a tournament, you're not supposed to uh, talk to the kid until they're totally done. And that could mean consolations, doubles, or what have you. And like, um, there's been a few times where I've seen, you know, you've seen different coaches like, wait a minute, is that, is that kid done their tournament or not? Or most coaches are, are pretty good. But uh, sometimes, you know, Division Three, NAIA, Division Two, I don't know all of their exact rules. So, um, Sometimes their rules are different or they might be a little more lenient. And, you know, you'll see them talking to the kids more and more at the tournaments. But I think that's the one thing that I that I see with some infractions. I still, I'll see coaches talking to the kids at uh, tournaments um, when they're not supposed to. Um, I, I don't I don't like that. I'll, I'll never do that myself. You want the kids just to focus on their tournament. That's what they're there for. The kids are already nervous enough just seeing a hundred shirts going around with their with their logos and their mascots on their shirt. And <laughs> They're putting enough pressure on themselves without having to talk to all the coaches while they're playing. Yeah, but that's that, that's probably the one. Uh, you know, that's the one infraction I might see. But uh, the tennis community is pretty. Um, I think we're all pretty pretty good and pretty honest with our recruiting process. So, Doug, I mean, you're telling me if if I was a college tennis coach, I couldn't just go to a player and say, "If you win this match, you're on the team." I mean, <laughs> come on, that's, that's yeah, crazy. right. <laughs> Put a little envelope with cash in there for them. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> no, like, like uh, you can have incidental contact, you know, like if a kid walks up and says, oh, you're the Towson coach, you can say hi, you know, it's, it's great to meet you, you know, uh, um, you know, please call me or email me or, or let's talk after the tournament. It's nice to meet you. Good good luck to you. That's good to know, too, for uh, coaches just so they don't get, you know, scared into, I guess, staying totally silent. Um, yeah, and you, and you treat the parents just like the potential student athlete. Um, so when you're there, you can't sit there and talk to the, uh, talk to the, uh, parent the whole time, you know, while, while their kid's playing, that's, that's actually a, illegal as well. And it's tough because you want to be nice, <laughs> yeah. but, but you can't, you know, but you just, you know, you simply just tell them the same thing, you know, I'm sorry. It's great. I wish I could talk to you more, but please let's, let's talk after the tournament. Uh, yeah, Doug, this is all just really awesome advice. Uh, very much appreciated. And so it, regarding, um, different modes of contact uh just personally for you do you prefer email physical mail phone call like what's your preferred physical mail i haven't done that probably since i was at uh pomona and then the naval academy um and i remember my office having about a you know a thousand vhs tapes you know you're talking to a kid <laughs> on the phone and you're trying to get that recruiting tape in and you're waiting for it waiting for it jeez um 
But physical mail, I don't do that. And, and that was great, though, at one point for the kids. You know, I, I even remember when I was in high school uh, a couple years ago, <laughs> I remember, um, you know, getting different letters. And I, I probably still have them somewhere, you know, with a school logo on there and things like that. But for me, it's funny. I, I find the best way to, to get in touch with these kids is texting <laughs> or through social media. Whether that's uh, I've had success through Facebook, but I know the kids on my team tell me, Coach, Facebook is for you old people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! But surprisingly, a lot of the younger ones do, and and they'll respond to Facebook messages. A lot of the young, a lot of the kids in high school, they don't respond to their emails right away. Hmm. Um, So that's when you got to just pick up the phone, pick up the phone, or you know, including myself, texting is the best is the best way to communicate. Really, ah, that's good to know. As as sad as that is. um, a lot of kids, when they get on the phone with you, they're not even sure how to talk with you because all they're doing is emailing or texting or Instagramming or what have you. Yeah, they're always on their phone, so it kind of makes sense. I'm surprised we don't see uh, people playing tennis while uh, browsing uh, their phone these days. <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen. But I know. I, I sound like the typical old man. You know, I, I used to walk to school 20 miles in the snow. and <laughs> I don't doubt that you did. <laughs> but um, So, Doug... Just curious, in regards to email, do you have any tips for players when they email you about, for example, maybe the etiquette in the email, length, format, content, like things like that, that would make it easier for both you and them to communicate? You know what? Just honestly, just like in in life, just like I tell them when they're going to an interview, just just be them, be themselves and ask as many questions as they want to. Um, I'm not going to I'm never. turned away if I see a long email from a recruit. I'll, I'll, you know, I, I'm going to read the whole thing because sometimes you will find that quote-unquote diamond in the rough. Um, you know, you haven't heard about this kid and then you start reading their their story and you're like, oh, wow, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, and the good thing is, you know, for tennis, we're not a football team. We don't have uh, 100 kids that we're recruiting. So we have a little more time to read those emails. Mm. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't worry about, honestly, when they're emailing, I wouldn't worry about anything. Just be themselves and, and, and ask away. Um, and you're probably going to ask about this, but what I would say is the videos that they send, yes. uh, whenever they do send an email, if they could right away, the first email, absolutely attach a, a playing video. And when I say playing video, we want to see them actually playing, competing points and mostly just playing points. They could do an intro and say, um, you know, this is, this is Jen, Jen Smith. And sometimes it doesn't hurt to say it. And by the way, I'll be the I'll be the girl wearing the blue shirt, just so you know. Because sometimes all of a sudden a video goes out, like which which one is who? I I don't even know. The better one. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly just um, if they want to show them hitting ground strokes right from the beginning, make sure the camera is either covering the whole, you know behind them or behind their opponent, so you can see actually where the ball is going the entire time. Because so many of our videos that we get, it's just them hitting tennis balls and being fed tennis balls. We want to see live hitting and point play right away. Because uh, a lot of kids, they send this crazy intro. They're showing their workout routine off the court. They have this crazy music going. They have so many things when, to be honest, a lot of times we just kind of, oh, skip that one, skip that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I don't mind hearing the music personally. It kind of shows the kid's personality. But uh, just more importantly, get right right to the playing and make sure we can see where the ball is going. A live ball hitting and point play. Yeah, Doug, uh, that's that's really great advice as well, because I definitely um, you always see a lot of these videos where they're just like you said, zooming in on only the player. So you don't know what's happening with the ball or the point or anything like that. And uh, it's very useful to just see them 
see them actually competing and playing points. Um, I mean, personally, if it was me, I would send a video of me benching 300 pounds, um, <laughs> which I can't do, but <laughs> no, um, yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's great advice, Doug. Thanks so much. Cause you know, a lot of people don't do the video right. And, and the, the, the way you mentioned is the proper way to do it. So now moving into what you look for, um, can you break down the type of player profile, like for example, ranking and skills that you normally recruit and that you you think should uh, belong uh, at the D one level? Yeah, you know it's um, and I'm going to steal again from our, our from, from our football coach at Towson. I, I remember one of our coaches meeting. Um, he was asked, you know, does he still recruit? You know, because we're we're FCS. And all sports, you know, we're not the FBS, like, you know, like the Alabamas and the Auburns and even the University of Maryland's. We're in the FCS, which used to be called Division One AA. But he was asked, uh, does he recruit five stars? Does he recruit five-star football players? And he said, absolutely. He said, why wouldn't you? Because you never know, this five-star, they might not come to you right away. They may end up going to, um, you know, the, 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 the big program, quote-unquote. But they might remember meeting you and they might remember what you said to them and they might come back to you. So... I, I try not to narrow down to, all right, I need to recruit from kids ranked 150 to 200 in the USA. Mm-hmm. And when I'm um, outside of international, I, I can only recruit um, kids that are an eight UTR, universal tennis rating or what have you. I'm still going to go after the the um, the highly ranked players because I, I, I think, you know, you never know. They might not come to you right away, but they might come back to you. Um but that's that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, it, it was funny though. I, I was out of Memphis at the Clay Court Nationals a couple of years ago, and I was I was recruiting a girl and had a couple couple good emails with her. And um, Keith Perrier, who who I um, yes. uh, really look up to, who coaches Navy, he's a great coach, great guy who you played for. Um, yep. yep. But uh, just a great guy, and um, I, I I bounce a lot of questions off him. But uh, he was watching me, and he said, I won't mention her name, but he's like, you're watching her. And she won her first three rounds out there, which is pretty big. And he says, you better move on. She's not coming to Towson. She's going uh, to SEC or one of the big conferences. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and sure enough, she signed with an SEC school. So it's pretty funny. Because um, I, I wanted her to do well, but not that well. Because <laughs> I, I thought I saw saw something in her for early on that nobody else did. And yeah, she, she, uh, she proved me right. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, just shoot for the stars. You never know um, who's going to come to you. Um, yeah. So, like, I'm not really looking for a certain like ranking or anything. I mean, if I can get the number one player in the country in the 18s, I'll I'll take her. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but um, but when I'm out there, like at the tournaments, I'm looking for, and the the day I can figure this out 100, percent I'll be a millionaire sitting on the beach after I write a book about it. But you know, you, you are you are looking for the good character kids. Like I'm, I'm looking at the way the way they compete, the way they move on the court, um, their attitude during their matches. Um, I'm honestly, I'm looking at the way they interact with the other players at the tournament. Does does nobody want to talk to this kid? You know, are they known as the cheater? You always have a couple of those. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, they, the officials are going to be on their court the entire time, and why are they roaming around everywhere else and just staying on this court? Something is, you know, is a red flag there. Um, so when I actually get out to go to these tournaments, those are the things that I'm, that I'm looking for. Um, and I'm looking at the parents too. I'm looking at the way the parents are acting with their own kid, but also the way the parents are acting with other parents. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm, I'm kind of learning more and more and more. You can really 
kind of get a good feel on what kind of kid you're going to get coming to your program. Just, just, just watching, watching them, watching their parents, watching them with their friends. Yeah, that's huge, Doug. Because I mean, no matter how good you are, if you're, you know, if you don't have integrity and a good personality, you could potentially destroy an entire team, and it's not worth having one amazing player if if the whole team's gonna, you know, be up in arms and, uh, you know, there'd be discord between the players. Um, so, and, and when you mentioned Keith, by the way, I love Keith, uh, Keith per year and, uh, had him on the show in episode two. So it's cool to have both you guys, um, on the show. It's a uh, real privilege. Yeah. So, um, so I guess you touched on this, um, but I would ask you if there was one thing that, uh, you'd say is the most crucial aspect of a player's, um, I guess playing resume, what would it be to you? Would it be ranking or maybe tournament performance or what? Yeah, I wouldn't say ranking. I would say looking at if I didn't get to actually see them compete in person, just looking at their results. And when I say their results, not just their wins, looking at their um, looking at all their matches. Are they playing a thousand tournaments a year? Or are they going to be burnout? I'm looking for, you know, they have a good mix. They're not playing every single weekend and they're not seeing them um, defaulting because of injury, because of health, because of whatever. But I'm all, I'm looking at the wins. I'm looking at the losses. Right. Um, and then if I can, you, you try to do your research and you and you talk to different kids on your current team or kids that they might know that might know something about this player. Like how do they, how hard do they compete, and how much do they love competing? You can't always find that out, but that's a big thing for me. Um, do they love competing? Do they love training? Um, the rankings and the stars, especially with tennisrecruiting.net, which which I think is still a great site. I know so many people are going to Universal Tennis Rating, but I use tennisrecruiting.net. But I think a lot of people get caught up in the stars. And am I a three star? You know, I'm almost a four. I'll even get emails. You know, I'm a three star. I'm probably going to be a four star next month. And <laughs> I'm not looking at that. I'm just really looking at the results. Yeah, no, that's it's awesome advice again, uh, Doug and. Yeah, it's funny with the star system. Yeah, while it is a great tool, um, you can't just take it for face value. And uh, you know, we had Colin Johns on the show, as I mentioned, and he was a, only a three star. Um, on or it still is listed as three three star, but now he's <laughs> like ranked, you know, top thousand or whatever on the yeah. ATP tour. So it's not always accurate. So, well, sometimes it's good for the kids. It, it motivates them. You know, just just like him, it probably motivated probably motivated him some. You know, like True. You know, he's probably still trying to. Um, <laughs> you know, me, me against the world trying to prove that you know i'm not a three-star <laughs> yeah, exactly. and when i say there's nothing three-star is a good player i don't i don't mean anything bad by that exactly exactly i mean i'm i'm a half star if, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, i'm just kidding um so you know doug you mentioned the uh the clay court uh national tournament and i w- i did also want to ask you um you know and this will help coaches a lot what are some of the tournaments that you attend regularly to recruit players or watch them yeah um uh this year i'm going to be going out to the san diego tournament the hard courts in august um i'll be going out there um that's a great one to go to every year uh memphis the clay courts um the indoors in the the winter also but um me personally too i always go down to um uh, i was drawing a blank there for a second mary washington and i always go to mid-atlantic championships as well you know you try to try to bring the local kids in and it's been tough trying to get the Maryland kids. A lot of the Maryland kids, they, they want to go away um, for whatever reason, which, which you know, I, I think is great. But it'd be, it'd be nice to, to get some more Maryland kids. We, we did have a couple come through, and it'd be nice to keep the uh, keep the Maryland kids coming. But most importantly, Marabon, it's just um, getting out 
and this is for uh, the coaches or, you know, people may, maybe that are just starting in coaching, but especially for the American players, just getting to the tournaments and showing your face, especially for the American kids that you're recruiting, if they don't see you at the tournaments, and, and I'm, I'm stealing from Keith again. Keith from Navy was talking to me about this. When I, when I first got into it at Towson News, you have, to, you have to show your face. You have to be there watching them. Um, or otherwise, they don't think you're really interested. They don't think that you care. You can text, call, email all you want. They, they want you to be at their tournaments. Uh, or a lot of times you'll lose them, and it's true. Um, and, and I've lost a, a couple in the beginning. Um, now I try to get out there as much as I can, you know, just whatever my budget allows. <laughs> right. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Right, now, wonderful advice. Um... So regarding uh, the D1 and D3 level, because I know you've coached at both those levels, albeit more at the D1 level, uh, what are some of the difference you, uh, excuse me, the differences you see between players at, um, at those levels and maybe any other observations that you've, you've seen? Well, for, for one, um, Division three, the men and women, uh, for when I played, I, I graduated, I was done at Salisbury in 1997, and it, it, was, it was a high level then. Um, our, our team uh, it was John Browning, all credit to him and, and all of our teammates. So we had a, you know, we finished top 10. The top 10 teams now are a much higher level than when I was there. Division three is, is really, really just improved greatly. I mean, all, all the divisions have, uh, including NAIA. There's not a whole lot of difference as far as the training and the, and the coaching. Like, I should say the big difference is the amount of time the coaches are allowed to train the kids. Um, Division one, I, I believe it's roughly it's like 144 days or something like that that we get with them. Um, Division three, I don't know their number, but I know it's usually about five to six weeks. I think about five weeks, to be honest, in the fall that they're allowed to train and practice together as a team with their coach. Um, and then they get out there in the, in the spring and they have their championship season. They're allowed to play more dates, I believe, though, than, than we are at the division one level. But now, having said that, you know, that they only get the five weeks in the fall and this and that. Um, there's as far as the, the the training, though, the Division three kids train just as hard as the Division one kids. They do. They're just not allowed to be with their coach as as, as much. Um, that's the big difference I see. But um, again, the, the the Division three, like I mentioned, my old coach, John Browning at Emory. I mean, that's that's a really high level of tennis down there with those guys. Yeah, John Browning's uh, definitely a great coach. And he. uh he was kind enough to respond to um, one of the articles that you know you you responded to as well. It's called it's at uh, tennisfiles dot com slash character, and uh, you definitely had a great, great response as to um, you know the most important character traits of of tennis players. Um, but going uh, uh, delving into the uh, differences as well, the one common thing that you hear with some players when they choose to go, like for example, to a D three school instead of a D one school, is they say. Oh well, you know, I, I wanted to uh, focus more on academics, and I just want to get your thoughts on on that statement that you often hear. Mm-hmm. At least I hear. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, um, I mean, Johns Hopkins, right around the corner from us. Uh, both their men's and women's, they're consistently top ten in, uh, in in Division three, and the kids have a different agenda. You know, they're going there for for the academics, and that's why they're getting those uh, 
players. And, uh, you know, frankly, sometimes it's, it's, it's tough to recruit against them. Um, and that's not bashing Towson. Towson has a great academic reputation now, right? But it's, um, you know, th- those kids, they're, they're going there for that Hopkins. I wouldn't, I'm not going to say name, but they're going for it. They're for that. They, they have the name for a reason. They're going to Hopkins for that education because it's such a good school. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's great. The kids will have a little bit more time to be a college student, but at the same time, they're training just as hard. And especially the top teams, even when they're not allowed to be with their coaches, they're even the schools up north. A lot of those, a lot of them have beautiful indoor centers anyway, but they're, they're training, they're training all the time. So, cause they, you know, they still really care. They're still passionate about the tennis, but yeah, their absolute number one agenda is, is academics. Uh, yeah, that's, that's good to know. Um, just to reiterate that while there is a, maybe a bit more time to study, they're still training their butts off. So it's not a, a walk in the park. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. And that's, that's, that's the one thing that, uh, kids, don't really get training for it. And I've seen a lot of articles on it and it's, and it's, and I think somebody posted, it may have been on yours or, uh, I can't remember, but, uh, somebody posted a, a really good article and was talking about, uh, how kids don't really have training or, or they're not really prepared to be a college athlete. They don't know, like, I mean, you, it's the 20 hours a week that you're allowed to train and to, you know, that, that involves running, uh, lifting, practice, matches, and then they have study hall and then they have their classes and then it's, bedtime and then it's wake up and you do it again you do it again now you know a lot of these kids might be on full scholarships but it's um it's a grind i mean it's uh it's a grind and i, I really i really admire I, I tell my girls that all the time i, I really respect what, what what they do it's crazy the time management that they learn at such a young age yeah but it, it's just super helpful to learn that um, it really is yeah it is they have a lot of help too you know we have study hall we have the tutors but that's also an extra two hours a day that that's cutting into their uh, cutting into their free time. Right. So, Doug, um, I know you touched upon this earlier, but are there any other mistakes or pet peeves uh, of yours in, in regards to um, players, parents, or coaches that uh, mistakes that they make in the recruiting process? Um, kind of just what I touched on earlier about just the the parents doing all of the communicating. I, I don't mind if, you know, the parents reach out and ask me a couple of questions here and there and, or that, you know, they, they want to meet me, uh, especially the internationals. They, um, you know, that's mostly Skyping and, you know, that I'll Skype with a kid and then the parents want to Skype. I, that's, that's great. I, I want to meet the parents also, but I want the kids to be the primary uh, communication source. So that's, that's really the biggest mistake is when the parents are doing all of the communicating for the kids. You know, and and you say to them in, in the nicest way, like, you know, I'd I'd rather talk to your to your son or daughter about this, so you know, it'll be good for them. Right, great advice for especially for new coaches out there on how to handle that. Um, sweet Doug, so let's get into um, what a lot of players are obviously um, striving for: scholarships. So, how many scholarships does a D one program like yours normally have? For a fully funded team, they have eight. They have eight full scholarships. Um, we play in a Towson. We, we play in a tough CAA conference, the Colonial Athletic Association. And um, uh, right now, William and Mary. Last I checked, they were number thirty or so in the country, doing uh, do, 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 doing pretty well this year. But uh, most of the teams in our conference have those eight full scholarships. Um, Towson, we're at five point two scholarships right now. Um, which is, you know, we're still a little bit behind. It's, um, 
Um, it, it's it's tough. It can be really tough to compete against because on the on the women's side, and I try to tell uh, the different athletic directors and things this you know when we're setting expectations and my expectation, my goals is to is to win the conference championship. Um, but it's very very tough. You're behind the eight ball in women's tennis because if you don't offer a full scholarship, a lot of kids just walk right away, and they're not being rude. It's, I don't, there's so many scholarships on the women's side, whether it's Division One, Two, or NAIA. There's so many scholarships out there that if you don't offer the full, it's, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And I'm off to the next one. Uh, even though they really want to come to you and sometimes they can even afford it. A lot of times the kids just want to be able to say, I'm, I'm on a full scholarship. <laughs> right. And, and mom and dad don't mind that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty good deal. But so Doug, one thing I'm thinking about is for, for programs that don't have full scholarships, do you, ever say like hey you know there's a possibility we can do like a half of a athletic half academic to make it work i mean do you ever try to do that absolutely yeah. absolutely we've um actually just this uh just this uh these last two years i've actually signed a couple of kids to with multi-year um uh, scholarships in other words saying like i can give you x you know percentage your freshman year your sophomore year then we then we can increase it once this kid graduates then we can increase it your senior year i've done that um we have five internationals, and one of the big reasons why is, well, well, number one is that they're great kids, they're good students, but also they have um, – uh, they qualify for academic money. It's a little easier for me at Towson to qualify the internationals for academic money, hmm. and the reason why is they're looking at the GPA, uh, as I talked about earlier, in the, in the TOEFL exam, and if they score an 80 on the TOEFL exam and they have a 3.5 GPA, they, they qualify for $8,000 academic money right off the bat. Wow. So that saves us that we can get them closer to that full scholarship so I can compete with these other uh, colleges that are recruiting them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when they get here, they have to keep a 3.0 to um, to keep that out, to keep that $8,000 a year. If their cumulative GPA drops below that, they'll, they'll lose that. So it's it's pressure on them, but we're fortunate enough. I, I mentioned that earlier in tennis. we uh, The kids are usually pretty strong academically, and a 3.0 is not a problem for them to keep. Uh, the American kids are a little tougher to qualify uh, at Towson uh, for, for academic money. Um, we did have uh, one of our kids who graduated this past year. She uh, she was on a, a pretty healthy academic scholarship, so it absolutely it absolutely helps, and it, and it, and it can be done. Oh, excellent. And uh, so, Doug, I mean, you know, for all these uh, potential players out there who want to get a scholarship, what would you tell them to do to give them the best chance of getting a scholarship? Well, they definitely have to play the tournaments and communication, communication with the coaches. Um, most of the girls that, that have a good ranking, they're going to get a scholarship. Right. Um, they're, they're getting a scholarship somewhere just because there are so many, like I said, there's so many scholarships out there on the women's side. Right. But some of the kids that might be multi-sport athletes and they're not playing the tournaments year round, uh, they really got to send a video and they got to get the coach to come out and um, see them. And they also got to get out there and use their five official visits that they're allowed. Hmm. Uh, get out there and, and, and hit with the girls on their team and let the girls on the team tell the coach, you know, what they thought. We're not allowed to watch them hit when they come on a recruiting visit. But uh, your girls on your team will give you true and honest feedback about the kid. Uh, but use your, you know, use your visits. Um and just communicate. Send out as many emails to coaches, phone calls to them as you can. Uh, that's. Uh, I'm really glad you mentioned the uh, visit. So, regarding official and unofficial visits, can you talk briefly about how that works? Yeah, each kid is allowed five five official visits. 
And for us, they can't take those official visits until they're uh, in their senior year. Uh, and I tell the kids, even the kids, you know, our, our top recruits, I tell them, go, go, go see the other schools. Um, you know, you want the, you, you'll get the, you'll get the kids and you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, you can't win them all. Um, but yeah, if you take that official visit, they really get to see how it is a day in the life of a college student. Like, you know, for, for us, they, when they, whenever they come, they, we always meet them. We tour them around campus. They meet our team's academic advisor. They go to class with one of the girls. They go eat with one of the girls on campus. They come to our practice. They go watch us lift. They'll go to a sporting event. They'll go to study. They do it all just so they really get a good feel. And then they meet the whole team. And uh, it's a it's a neat experience. And, it, and if they could use all five visits, absolutely do it. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, when I visited UMBC, I think I was scared to meet the team for some reason, so I just uh, <laughs> hung out with yeah. Victor. But eventually, I met him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but you yeah. know, it's a great, great opportunity to uh, figure out what what's uh, what the best fit is for you regarding what schools. Especially because the kids on the team now, like if you go visit, like if the current kids on the team, just ask them questions. They'll tell you all the truths about the coach, about the school, uh, you know, about about everything and. I, I let the recruit be with them more than anything because, you know, I, I trust myself and what we're doing and what we're building here that, the, you know, I want the kids to be honest and tell them everything that they think. And I hope it's going to be the right thing <laughs> that they want to hear. Yeah, for sure. And um, regarding the, your scholarships, like for a program like yours, do you usually um, give them out uh, in full to each player? Or do you do you kind of spread them out? We spread them out um, according to NCAA rules. I know I said um, Division One to be fully funded means eight full rides. So if you don't have those eight full scholarships, the maximum amount of kids that you can scholarship is eight kids. So if I was to give you a, a one hundred dollar scholarship, it's a headcount sport. So in other words, you're counted as a scholarship. That means now I can scholarship seven more players. I might give the next kid a fifty percent scholarship. I might give one kid a full. Uh, we're we're pretty spread around. Uh, we have some of the internationals on. Um, uh, academic uh, and combined with athletics on full scholarships, and uh, we're, we're pretty well spread out. Um, it's tough when they're coming in to, to decide who's going to get more and who's going to get less, and you don't want the kids to talk about it, but they do, and that's never going to change. No matter what you say to them, they're going to talk and what, yeah, who gets what, and they all know. So, and I never guarantee unless I know like uh, like I did with these multi-year but I never when I initially give a kid if it's not a full scholarship if I'm not sure what I'm going to have in the future I never guarantee it I'm not going to lie to them and say yeah you're going to get an increase I'm uh, you know I tell them I'm going to do the best I can right and if they're doing well in the classroom doing well on and off the court uh, we will absolutely try our best right for sure I mean best possibility is to be open and honest but so, Doug, I guess if um, if you have a player who really wants to say they're on scholarship, you can just give them like a, a dollar's worth of scholarship and then they can see, say I'm on a scholarship, you can. right? <laughs> Absolutely. You, you can. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was talking about uh, uh, we have 5.2 scholarships and it's, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, I really you need those. You need those eight to consistently recruit uh, against the schools in your conference and to consistently compete for conference championships because that's our ultimate goal. Um, but I will say, uh, credit to Towson, when I first started, we had about two and a half scholarships seven years ago. So we have, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Um, we got new courts, new facilities. So, you know, I just got to get kids on campus and let them see, see our courts and see what's going on here. It's, uh, 
it's a special time right now. It really is. Yeah, well, I definitely applaud uh, Towson University for their efforts in increasing the scholarships. And I would definitely say it's it's really important given the fact that we're uh, we don't have too many other programs in Maryland, and uh, the programs are kind of shrinking throughout the country. So if you can, sad, uh, it's yeah, awful. Yeah, it's really awful. So I mean, if you can, especially for you know, Maryland, if you guys can just keep supporting the program, it would be uh, very um, very appealing for for people, especially in Maryland, to go to. Um, so yeah, and I guess on that front, since we touched uh, on it, um, one of the fan questions I got. From Rich, he asked, "Can college tennis basically survive, and how can we uh, save it if it's in in danger?" Yeah, it's, it's real scary times right now, and it's it's so unfortunate. I mean, programs right down the road from us, UMBC, uh, programs all over the country, uh, being cut left and right, and you know, UMBC, I know that really hits home with you. And it's, uh, you know, you think Title Nine women's teams are going to be fine, but I mean, that's proved wrong right there. Um, you. Talking to different people in USPTA and different uh, higher ups, and you know they're like Division Three is safe because they're not worried about scholarship budgets. The Power Five conferences are safe; they're not going to be cutting sports. Um, but I mean, I don't even know if that's true. It is really scary times. Athletic directors—they're um, using that excuse of cutting tennis programs because it affects the least amount of people. In other words, you know, it's, well, it's only eight kids on the women's team; it's only eight kids on the men's team. You know, we're not affecting a lot of people. And then their next biggest excuse is um, there's no fan attendance, you know, so they're saying so they're really not affecting too many people. And I think that's just an excuse because a lot of these programs do have people coming out to watch and they do have a lot of support. A lot of ADs, administration, they're not out there at those matches. They don't see they don't even really know. And I think a lot of it's just budget. Now, having said all that, I think if we in the tennis community all come together and especially the local tennis pros around all of these colleges. Um, I know Saul Schwartz in our area is doing a great job of promoting, you know, hashtag save college tennis Mm -hmm. uh, everywhere that he's posting. And um, him and I were talking and a lot of us talking like the pros just really need to get their kids and get their lessons out there to the matches and get them excited about it. Um, Bring them out there. Um, you, think, you know, you got to look at the big picture. Like sometimes pros are worried that, you know, there's a couple hours. That's when I'm normally teaching and making my lessons. But, you know, if you look at it, whereas if I bring my lessons and get them excited out there, maybe they're going to want to take more lessons with me. Maybe their friends are going to come out more, or, you know, or what have you. But it's it's really us coaches that are going to have to take the bull by the horns and get very creative and do a lot of different things, whether it's free pizzas, free T-shirts, um, but with budgets, you know, they only go too far. Um, your team has got to really get out there and promote the heck out of themselves on campus, you know, promote on game day or the day before, handing out flyers, whatever it might be. But I think college uh, attendance is is really going to be crucial for um, for saving college tennis. And, and it can be done. So to answer the question, I, I think we can, but it's going to be it's going to be a lot of hard work and. It's not easy because we're already focusing on scheduling, recruiting, and you know the million other things that we're doing. And now we're <laughs> now we're it's another uh, another thing we're trying to do for for our program. Yeah, Doug. I mean, I'd really commend all your efforts because I I've seen your posts and um you know you tr- you advertise uh, the matches and you even offer the free pizza and stuff like that. And it's it's really all about like you said getting people out there because you never know. I mean, you could. 
you could have a student who, for example, isn't um, too interested or not playing so great, and then you take them out to a match, and then all of a sudden they're energized, motivated, and they see how cool college tennis is, and all of a sudden you go, the student goes from not really caring about tennis to, um, man, I want to train so hard. And so it can be very beneficial for the player, the coach, the community. I mean, it's, it has a real huge impact, and these college matches are just fantastic, wonderful to watch. There's a lot of... Um, you know, pressure moments and exciting points and superior play. And, and it's really uh, just a great environment to be in. It's it's so much fun. So and, and thank you for that. So I guess going back to uh, what you specifically do at House and Tennis, what are your what are some of your favorite drills when you train your team? We've been focusing a lot on um, we do these things called quadrants. And, um, you know, it's, it's credit uh, Robin, Robin Hubbard last year, who was our assistant. She was, uh, she was really big on getting us going with that. And, and we really, uh, grown attached to it. And it's basically, we're putting like uh, cones in like one little quadrant of the court. Whereas one player standing in that quadrant might be like right next to the singles line over on the deuce side, hmm. you know, they're consistently moving their feet, but the person on the other side of the net, you can hit them anywhere. And your job when you're sitting over there in that quadrant is to, to work that person and make it very uncomfortable, make it tough for them. Um, so in other words, you're working on being able to hit shots from anywhere. Um, and at the same time, you know, that person on the other side who can move anywhere is really, really working. And during the drill, I, I love it because the girls are really motivating each other. Like when you're on the one side, when you're not the person moving, you know, they'll hit the, they'll hit a ball down the line and then they hit a sharp angle. But when they hit it, you're rooting for them to get the ball because it, object of the drill is to get every single ball one bounce whether it's in or out hmm. and it's really neat you hear all the girls like come on come on let's go let's go you know get it get it get it and great get and they're really cheering for each other really motivating each other that's one of my favorite drills then we'll set up different quadrants and each each session's like two minutes and if you're sitting out if we're indoors you're jump roping in between it's a it's really high energy drill but um the one big thing that we talk about in singles now having said that <laughs> to kind of uh, contradict myself, that's that's being able to hit shots from anywhere. But the one thing that we focus on is directionals and guidelines, when to go cross court and when to go down the line. And then when you're going down the line, really picking out that big, big, big safe target and hitting it aggressive to it. So just a lot of drills working on those directionals and guidelines, when to go cross and when to go line. Nice, Doug. Yeah, that's a great glimpse into uh, the types of drills that college programs like Towson uh, do and, and train with uh, at their facilities. And um, yeah, the directional control, that's great you mentioned that because I um, had an interview recently with Jason Jung, the pro player, and uh, he mentioned how even he is working on uh, directionals because uh, certain players are super strong, like you mentioned Murray, who can redirect balls easily, but for most, um, it's tough. So uh, it's, it's important to uh, keep, you know, know when to yeah when to change direction especially on the um on the men's side too you really really got to pick and choose when to go down the line because those especially at that level where he's at those guys are moving so quick if you go down the line at the wrong time that guy's gonna be there and all he does is hit it cross court to the open court points over <laughs> yeah so you gotta really really pick and choose right now for sure doug um great advice and so Specifically with Towson, um, I just want to ask how's uh, the, how's the Towson women's program been doing this season, and you know what's your outlook? Yeah, we're uh, right now we're sitting at six and three. Uh, we just nice. had a we just had a good win against a, a really strong kind of sleeper uh, team that you know uh, a Duquesne out of uh, Pittsburgh, and they're 
you know, fully funded program. That was a, it was a good win for our girls. We won four, three. That's what I love about college tennis. It came down to one match and our, our junior Sophie Lesage was the last one out there. Uh, that was a good win for us. And we played uh, George Washington early in the year. We had a good win. First time ever we'd beaten them. And same thing. It was 3-3. Three, three, and it came down to our, our Pittsburgh freshman, uh, Lucy Gloninger. Nice. AKA a- 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 Goose. <laughs> Goose. Um, we have two Lucys on our team. So she she's um, adopted that name Goose. Her old coach back in Pittsburgh gave it to her and it stuck. <laughs> cool. I like it. But uh, that came down to a final match and she pulled it out for us. So we're having a good year and it's it, it's – Credit to the girls. There's still a lot of work to do. We have a really tough week down here in Charleston. We're playing College of Charleston. We're playing Savannah State. We're playing UMass, and we're playing UNCW. Wow, those are those are really really tough uh, tough matches down there. But the girls have been working really hard. It's credit to them, and I keep saying in a lot of my quotes. But they asked to work harder than ever, and we we've, we've really been going hard, and it's it's showing on the court. Yeah, I mean that sounds like a wonderful program to be at, Doug. It's 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 wonderful to hear. And you've also had some other great wins against uh, Mount St. Mary's and uh, James. Uh, I'm sorry, and uh, George Mason. Um, uh, I wish I was the James Madison. I heard you start to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to delete that part, but <laughs> since you mentioned, they were tough. Yeah, they were tough. no, they're they're tough. Play the night. It was a, it was a, it was a good it was a good match, y'all. Yeah, no, it's always it's all about just improving and um, you know living the experience of college tennis. And so, in your view, um, what are some of the keys to becoming a successful college tennis player? Huh. I wish I had that magic answer. You know, I'd have them all being a top top 100 in the country right now. Yeah, it's <laughs> tough. No, you know, we, um, we 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 talk a lot about staying in the present moment in matches, and that also rolls over to staying in the present moment in practice, and too, you know, staying in the present moment every, every day. Um, so many people they, they want to they want the results but they don't want to be a part of the process mm-hmm. and you know and that's where you got to put in that work you got to be accountable you have to be a good um, you have to be a good teammate you have to accept coaching um, I always use that term and I can't remember where the article was but it was Roger Federer probably like six seven years ago when he was really really in his prime not that he's not in his prime now <laughs> but he uh, he was talking about how uh, how you need to accept coaching even at his level. I mean, what's what's a coach going to tell him? I don't care who he brings on. What is Stefan Edberg, one of the greatest of all time? What is he going to tell Federer that he doesn't know? Probably something if he if he listens, you know. I mean, it's it's just you got you have to accept it. Um, I just watched that. Actually, I just posted on our Towson Tennis Facebook page. It was a really neat commercial, motivating commercial. Michael Phelps yesterday, an Under Armour commercial. Mm-hmm. It was really motivating. I was I had chills watching it. But then after that, there was another video of Michael Phelps and his fiance watching it. Uh, for the first time, and they were both teared up. They were both crazy emotional just watching it. It was just talking about just the the hard work that goes into it. And basically, what he said was, it seems like he's changed a lot as a person. I don't, you know, it seems like he's uh, really coming around. I mean, obviously, he's a heck of an athlete, but he was saying how he's not afraid anymore, and he's not afraid to ask for help. He knows he can't do it alone. Right. Um, and for the, the 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 greatest Olympian of all time to say he needs help and he can't do it alone. If these kids really, really take that to heart and know you can't do it on your own. You know, us tennis players can be stubborn and we can beat up on ourselves and it's a very mentally challenging game. But if you let your guard down and let us coaches coach and accept it, you could really, really benefit. And also listen to your teammates. You know, sometimes it's good to be a, it's good to be a follower along with a leader. 
Yeah, Doug. I mean, it, it, coaches are huge, and it, it's it's tough by yourself. I mean, you can't just. Um, it, it's harder to see your flaws and things like that by yourself, and it coaches help can help you mentally and strategically and things like that. So it's really a wonderful resource to have coaches like Doug you know, on their side. Um, Doug, you know, I appreciate your time so much. I know we've been talking for a while. I've just got a, maybe a couple more for you and you can sure. stop, stop me if you ever need to leave. Uh, before no, this is great. This is great. I appreciate it. Yeah. Same here. Um, so another fan question, uh, can you tell us, uh, your most memorable moment from either playing or coaching college tennis or moments? Um, you know, at, at, at Towson, and this is, this is funny. We were, um, this was my first year and it was the team that I inherited. And this is one of the memories that stand out to me. And, uh, we weren't the strongest team. Um, we, we weren't the strongest team. And that was the year we went four and 19. Um, as a team, we had a tough, tough schedule, but we were playing, playing Morgan state and we had half of our kids were, um, were sick or hurt, um, or what have you. And we had our, you know, our kids that were somewhere around, we had a big team that year, somewhere around like 10, 11, 12. And they weren't really college level tennis players. They were good athletes, good kids. Um, but they, they got a chance to get in there and play against, uh, Morgan State. And I just really, really enjoyed it. Just their passion and their energy, their effort out there on the court that day was phenomenal. We ended up winning that match four three. And it was a freezing cold day, um, over at, um, I believe it was Patterson Park or where, I can't remember, uh, or Druid Hill Park, uh, where we were playing Morgan State, but it was so neat to coach those girls. They were just so excited to be in that lineup. And I was just telling our starters, you know, when they came back, if you girls could play with that same energy and just don't take it for granted, you know, being in there, because I think it's 1.5% of high school players go on to play Division One women's tennis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just to watch those girls, just the excitement out there and, and knowing that they pulled that win out. Um, it was just, it was a really, really neat moment. And it was, just, it was great coaching them that day. Then we went out to a restaurant and just, you know, those girls that were with us that day afterwards and we're celebrating, had a dinner and it was, it was just, it was a really great experience. Yeah, that, that's wonderful, Doug. Um, and so I guess last question for you uh, would be just for our general audience. Uh, actually, no, I've got two for you, but one is for our general audience is, what is one thing you tell them to do to improve their tennis game? Like, what do you think either an approach or a specific thing to work on or anything like that? Yeah. Um, just for them in general. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've been reading this, this book and I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done with it yet, but it's called what drives winning and it's by Brett Ledbetter. So I'm not going to pretend like I came up with this myself, but I've been talking to them a lot about um, character and who they are as a person mm-hmm. and, performance skills and this is what i've been telling them like about how to how to improve like the character has performance skills and has moral skills and performance skills is basically like what you uh what you need to do individually to improve more it might be asking me to feed them extra balls um you know half hour day might be getting up at 6 a.m and doing extra running doing whatever it might be just to to improve themselves and then you have that versus your moral skills which is that's when the kids really get to the next level because that's kind of being a good teammate and what's going to keep them at that high level from those performance skills, um, if that makes any sense. So just doing, you know, the extra do because everybody's different. Um, you might not have to do as much as the next person, but just do whatever it takes you need to do and don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, again, it kind of goes back to that. 
but I, I really like that. He mentions that in a book a lot about performance skills and moral skills and, you know, performance skills, do whatever it takes to get you there. Then being a good teammate and getting your teammates better, that's what's going to keep you at that high level. Wonderful, Doug. Uh, definitely going to check that book out and I'll put a link uh, in the show notes. It's very good. It was, it was funny. I was I ran into our track assistant coach, um, Gary May, and he said something. I went, wait a minute. And he goes, <laughs> he said he was reading that book. I'm like, that's too funny. I'm reading the same book. We were kind of swapping ideas about it. It's uh, it's really good. You know, just a lot about goal setting. And, you know, even if you don't achieve those goals, where you're getting better as a person while you were trying to achieve them. And, there's, you know, different things like that. Um, I'm not even done the book yet, so I'm not going to pretend like I know it. But it's, uh, it's pretty neat stuff. It's great stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, gosh, so many wonderful books out there. It's I mean, it's amazing. I don't have time to read them all, but I try, um, as do you. I'm Maybe sure. we got to get together and write one, huh? Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. Uh, <laughs> should definitely talk about that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Doug, um, so it's awesome advice. And uh, I do want to ask you as well, so where can potential players and other fans uh, reach you? Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, you can go to TowsonTigers.com, and you can always follow us on there by just clicking on the, the sports and clicking on women's tennis. Um, our biggest outsource or outreach is uh, Facebook, and if you, it's just Towson Tennis is on, is on Facebook. Um, just send us a friend request. Um, it's usually me, myself, or it's our, our media relations girl, Jennifer Bolton, that's, uh, that's posting things. Um, most of the more personal stuff, when you see like coach's dog playing fetch at tennis practice, that's me. that's me posting that and and i have control of our twitter account also um and the twitter is towson underscore tennis or actually i'm not even um i i I think i had that wrong but uh but if you if if you look us up at towsontigers.com it has all of our social media on there as well sure and i'll definitely um post those yeah, and the girls, the girls started our own Instagram, too. And I, and I wish I could tell you that, but they're funny. They're like, they call me old man because I still don't know how to use Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, we'll get together and have a training session on that, Doug, you know. Actually, here it is. It's, it's Towson underscore tennis. That's our Instagram, I think. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I will add you. Yeah, yeah. And the girls have control of that Instagram, so. Oh, geez. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I tell them we got you know, only put up tennis stuff. That's right. That's right. It's all about the program. There we go. Yeah, sweet. Well, um, you know, for everyone out there, I really encourage you to um, talk to Doug or contact him or if you see him at a tournament to say hi. Uh, Doug is really a, a wonderful coach and more importantly, a wonderful human being. And he's very knowledgeable about the game and very passionate about it. And he's coached so many uh, great players uh, to become even better players and great people. Um, so Doug, you know, I just want to thank you so much for, uh, giving us a lot of really amazing advice on the recruiting process and, uh, college tennis in general. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Maribana. I really appreciate you doing a great job. Keep this going. I love reading your articles and, and I'll keep sharing them on our, uh, Towson tennis. And, and if I ever figure out Instagram, maybe there too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. And thanks for, uh, you know, all your support as well. Um, so, you know, best of luck to you and the team and to, to Jamie and everyone. And uh, I hope to see you soon. Awesome. Hopefully we'll see you out on the tennis court again soon. That would be awesome. All right. All right. Thanks, Mervon. Thanks, Doug. I hope you learned a ton about the college tennis recruiting and scholarship process with Doug. I certainly know I did, and I really appreciate him coming onto the show. I do just want to mention the unfortunate passing of 
Saul Schwartz, who Doug mentioned uh, earlier in the episode. Um, Saul was a very staunch advocate of college tennis, and he was very passionate about helping people just become better tennis players and better people. And he worked so hard to try to save UMBC tennis, and he also spoke with me once. Uh, the one time that I spoke with him, uh, I could tell right away um, just what a great guy he was. And, you know, we talked about ways we could try to um, save college tennis because uh, I spoke to him right after we heard about the dissolution of UMBC men's and women's tennis. And again, just Saul was such a passionate person. Um, he's somebody that I wish we had uh, a lot more of uh, in the game. Because if we did, then we would, then college tennis would be thriving, I tell you. And, you know, I just, just in the name uh, and spirit of Saul, I think we all need to make sure that we're doing more uh, and as much as we can to affect the game of tennis and of college tennis as positively as possible uh, to get ourselves and more people involved in the game because it's certainly on the decline. There are teams that are being uh, destroyed, programs being destroyed after decades of of uh, a lot of hard work uh, building up programs just like my program, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And it's really a tragedy. When you cancel a program like that, you know, some of these people who are making these decisions don't realize how much of an effect it's having on the players, uh, their family, the coaches, the community, and the sport itself. So it's a definitely a negative thing. And um, I just want to salute Saul and I want to give my condolences to his family um, in this tough period for them. And uh, I just thank so much to Saul for everything he's done for college tennis. You know, if you're on social media, you've probably seen Saul use the hashtag Save College Tennis uh, moniker. So I encourage all of you to post at least one thing about college tennis and to use that hashtag. So that being said, um, I do want to encourage you guys to check out tennisfiles.com slash 10 uh, because that will have all the very important resources and links and tools that were mentioned on this episode uh, when I spoke with Doug. And another thing I'd like you guys to check out is uh, a gift that I want to give to you guys for free. And it's located at tennisfiles.com slash college checklist. And what that is, is I put together for you guys a checklist of all the most important things that you need to do in order to give yourself the greatest chance of getting a college tennis scholarship. And it touches upon, you know, some of the things, obviously, that Doug and I discuss, as well as some other things that I've researched myself about recruiting and scholarships and what, what you guys as students need to do. And also, for all you coaches who are listening, um, you know, feel free to tell your students uh, to check out this resource, um, because I know, obviously, you teach a lot of juniors at a lot of times don't really know what to do. Um, you know, I myself, I've been to different pro shops and have overheard parents and players and even coaches asking each other and wondering, you know, what they need to do, the steps they need to take to get a shot at uh, playing college tennis and maybe even getting a scholarship to play. So I put this uh, free checklist for you at tennisfiles.com slash checklist. 
uh, that I think would be very helpful for you all to check out. And if you do download that, you will have to provide your first name and email, which is pretty standard for uh, signing up for these free types of gifts and stuff. And then you'll be subscribed to my newsletter as well, which is uh, free. It's all free for you. So, um, but I in the newsletter I. I send out um, all the best tips and advice and also um, like recaps of my podcasts and blog posts, um, you know, every so often, not too often because I don't want to flood your inbox and bother you too much. But um, I highly encourage you again to check out uh, this free resource that I put together for you at tennisfollows.com slash college checklist. So I just want to end this episode by reading you Another powerful quote that I really like. Lately, I've been getting in the habit of reading quotes at the end of episodes. And so this quote is by John Carmack. And he said, Focus is a matter of deciding what things you're not going to do. So it's obviously extremely important in your tennis development that you devote yourself to improving. And in order to do that, a lot of times you have to say no to things. You have to say no to going to a party, you have to say no to a TV show, you have to say no to, you know, a lot of other things. And if improving your tennis game is the most important thing to you, then you have to say no to all those things so that you can get out there and improve your game. And at the end of the day, if tennis is the most important thing to you, then having those great results and improving your game is going is what's going to make you truly happy. Not, um, not, watching a TV show and finding out who got uh, axed on that episode. And there's always TiVo. So <laughs> um, so I just want to thank you all again for listening to the show. Uh, I really, truly appreciate everyone's support and uh, kind words. And um, I'm really enjoying bringing all this content to you guys to help you improve your game and uh, get scholarships and do whatever it is you want to do in tennis. So uh you know, feel free to let me know exactly what's bothering you in the game of tennis, and I'll do my very best to find the answers for you. Uh, and you can email me at mirbon at tennisfiles.com for that. So thanks again so much, everybody. I know this was a long episode, but thanks so much for uh, sticking with it. And uh, I hope you really enjoyed listening to Doug and I talk about college tennis and scholarships and recruiting and all that. So all the best to you guys, and I will... See you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.